0: Here we are, another episode of The Actor's Room. My name is Jeff Tarowski, and this is episode number 36, the episode title, The Fisher King. We will be discussing a very fascinating film. I touched on it covering Robin Williams. I wanted to dive a little deeper into the film because I find it fascinating. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show.
1: Hi.
2: Welcome back. The Fisher King, one of my favorite uh, experiences making movies. I got to work with two wonderful artists, Terry Gilliam and Robin Williams. You know, originally when Terry hired me for the thing, I tried to talk him out of it. I don't know why you like me in this part. I don't really feel like this guy. And he said, no, no, you know. But Richard Legravenet's, what a wonderful script. Right there. See it? Mm-hmm. Right there. See it? What? The holy grail. When uh, Robin's in a coma, you know, there, and I've got this long monologue to him, you know, and I kept picturing him trying to make me laugh while I was doing it. You going to wake up now? But I remember uh, his support in that scene, and it was so quiet. I was a little anxious about working with Robin because he's such a comic genius. But it turns out that Robin was just a consummate actor and that comedy was a magnificent tool that he had in his kit bag, but he was capable of doing all sorts of things. I can remember one night, Terry Gilliam and Robin were doing a scene in a Chinese restaurant, and we're working really late. It's about 4 o'clock in the morning, it's like a 16-hour day, and Robin all of a sudden got up and started to just jam around the crew, improvise, and bust everybody's chops. And most directors, you know, they'd be looking at their watch and say, okay Robin, you know, settle down, we gotta go. But Terry did just the opposite. He would say, yeah, but what about this guy? You know, what about him? And Robert would go on and would egg him on. He would do that uh, quite often. It gave all of us all that energy to finish the work that we had to do that day. Both those guys were so incredible.
0: Jeff Bridges. I got to tell you. I think that he's probably, and I use this word a lot describing some actors that I just feel this way. Underrated. Underrated. Jeff Bridges. Underrated. All the research I've done on uh, Robin Williams and and doing the Fisher King and other actors that I've highlighted in this podcast. And this is episode number 36. A few of them have been two-parters. But for the most part, uh, they're one-part episodes. And uh, just, there's something about Jeff Bridges And I haven't done an episode on him yet. And like I said in the past, I go off a feel doing week to week. I never really have, oh gosh, in five weeks I'm going to do Tom Hanks. And in three weeks I'm going to do Lawrence Fishburne. No, I don't do that. I don't have a schedule. I, I do an artist and I feel good about it. And I enjoy looking up about them. So on and so forth. In the moment. And then when that's over... I kind of just take a moment, I take a few days, and I just I go off a of feel about who I'm going to do next. It just comes out of nowhere. But anyways, whenever I think of Jeff Bridges, I, there's something about that guy, um, and I can't wait to kind of do a little bit more reading up on him. Uh, he came from a acting family. His dad, Lloyd Bridges, had been in the business a long time, and he grew up in that atmosphere. He has a brother named Bo, and both of them, had done have done some great work. His dad as well, Lloyd Bridges. But when I think of Lloyd Bridges, I think of uh, Airplane. He played an Airplane, um, the real nervous guy who's in the control tower um, trying to talk down um, Robert Hayes, the, the actor that's in the plane trying to bring it down. I'm talking about Airplane, the comedy movie in the 80s. I, that's a cult film. And I think most people do know about that film. But I don't know how many people know that Jeff Bridges' father, Lloyd, is that nervous guy. He's got, well, thank God, you know, I didn't pick this week to quit smoking. And he's smoking. And I, I'm glad I didn't pick this week to stop uh, sniffing glue and he's sniffing glue. That's his dad. That is Lloyd Bridges, Jeff Bridges, and Bo Bridges' bro, uh, brother, father. So I just wanted to point that out. And when I think of Lloyd Bridges... I think of that, that role. And he's done many other roles. But for me, that one sticks out for me. He's kind of like a a silly kind of guy. And you know, those airplane movies are great. The second one's even... I don't know if that one's better. I like both of them very much. But getting a little off point, I want to get back on talking about Jeff Bridges and how much I'm going to look forward to just looking into his life a little bit more. Uh, Just generally, I hear that he's very down to earth. Um, I guess the one part that is most like him that he has done. And he has done so many movies. I've heard that if there was one role that his friends would say is the real Jeff Bridges, is get this, the big Lebowski. I would have never thought that, but I guess Jeff Bridges is that sort of person. Laid back, uh, parties, just and has that vocabulary um, I think it's very similar to Jeff Bridges. The Big Lebowski. And he has done so many films. But I feel that the Fisher King role for him... Jack is truly one of his best. If you've never seen the Fisher King... It's a different kind of film, people. Okay, It was directed by Terry Gilliam. And Terry Gilliam is known for his work in the mighty Python movies. Big in those... And we love those movies here at the Tarowski household. Wife is a big fan. She actually turned me on to Mighty Python. I really didn't watch it when I was a kid. For some reason, You know, maybe because our parents didn't watch it, I never got into Mighty Python. I didn't even think I knew who they were until I met my wife in like 1998, 97, 98. She'll kill me that I don't know the the year uh, when we met. 97, pretty sure about that. But anyways, Mighty Python, I'm like, what's that? And she nearly like fell over. She's like, you don't know who Mighty Python are, is? Whatever. So I I knew some of the actors that were in there. Um, but I really didn't know about the... It was like a troupe. And they did these movies. And they were really dry comedy. That kind of comedy. It's really interesting to me. Um, and it's done so well. And Terry Gilliam was a big part of Mighty Python. And he ended up really busting out a, a few great movies as a director and I have here some of the other films that he directed were the Brothers Grimm Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas now that's a weird movie Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro, very weird Um, 12 Monkeys love 12 Monkeys, remember distinctly going to the theater watching this in the theater with a buddy of mine I might have been on a date, not sure I wasn't alone. And that's another thing. I don't think I've ever gone to a movie alone. People do this. And I remember a buddy of mine telling me that he went to a movie alone. And I said, you went by yourself. He's like, yeah. I wanted to see the movie. No one would go with me. So I went by myself. I don't know why that struck me so. Just out of this realm of possibility that someone would actually go to a movie theater alone. By themselves. Like it seems wrong, doesn't it? Because as a kid, you go with a group of people. You don't go by yourself as a kid, right? So I just think of a movie, theater, showing of something. It could be anything. And uh, you're being with a date, uh, with a buddy, a friend, whatever. A group of people. You go out. It's like a social thing. When I think of um, movie theaters, I think social. Is any theater thing. Like if you went and saw a play. Or a musical. Would you go alone? Maybe. I I don't know. Some people might. You know. They're older in age. uh, Their spouse has passed. They don't have uh, a family like they used to. Or maybe their family doesn't share the same interest as them. And they go alone. I guess. (laughs) I'm getting a little off base. But you know what. I'm talking about theater. So I guess it pertains. But. I remember seeing 12 Monkeys, I was blown away by Brad Pitt's performance. Um, I never thought of Brad Pitt as a serious actor before this. I liked him. He's entertaining, you know, with all the other movies before that he did. But 12 Monkeys, I was like, whoa! Whoa! What is Brad Pitt doing there? I mean, that character was fucking amazing. He's crazy, this guy. I mean, the first time you see him, that scene, the very first scene, Brad Pitt comes on in 12 Monkeys. I mean, he blows you away. I was so impressed by him. He jumped off the screen. And the first time you see him, he's in a psychiatric ward. And Bruce Willis is the other character that plays along the other main character in 12 Monkeys. So the first time you see Brad Pitt, and his name is Jeffrey in the movie, and that's my name, so I don't know, maybe it's kind (laughs) of... Jeffrey, although I hate being called Jeffrey I I do Uh, My parents call me that every now and then My dad will call me Jeffrey I think he's the only one who's allowed to call me Jeffrey Because he's my dad But if anybody else tried to call me Jeffrey I would correct them No, (laughs) my name's Jeff Uh, So Brad Pitt, like I said, jumped off the screen And I was so impressed As I'm sitting here And I was sitting there at the theater watching Brad Pitt that evening. I said, and I made a mental note, that he was going to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And he was. And I was so proud of that because this was, God, I think that movie came out in 94. I don't have that written down, but I was in high school when I saw that. And I was just starting to get interest in acting around that time. And that's when I started taking notice of things like that people's performances, uh, looking at a performance and going, wow, they did really well. And you could tell they took the time, Brad Pitt, you could tell. That role, there was something about that role he identified with, felt comfortable with. And it was after that role, you really got to see Brad Pitt take off. Uh, He always had confidence as an actor in the early goings, And he kept it going after this film and did some really great work. So, touching on 12 Monkeys a little bit because it is a film directed by Terry Gilliam, the director of the movie that we will be talking about, The Fisher King. And I also want to mention, didn't mention this yet, uh, Terry Gilliam wrote this screenplay for a film called Brazil in which he was nominated for an Oscar. So, not only did he direct... But he also wrote the screenplay for Brazil. And was nominated for an Oscar. So just wanted to put that in there. He's a very talented guy. And if you watch his movies. They're dark. They got a darkness to them. This guy's deep. I think he likes to dive into this. This really cool stuff that. um, Other directors kind of shy away from. Uh, And although the story itself. May not be too dark. I think Terry takes great pride. And making it a little darker. Not only with um, the the dialogue. Or maybe switching it up a little. But you could tell in his films. They actually have a dark feel to them. And I mean that when I I say that. Because the film itself. Like the lighting. It's low. uh, There aren't that many bright scenes. Or uplifting scenes. Now they're there. uh, They're playful scenes. But for the most part. The stuff that he does. Requires us to to think a little bit. And most importantly, they're kind of uh they're poetic, they're artistic in ways of like maybe a a Stanley Kubrick film. Uh, along those lines, I I take away from Terry's films that thing, that's something different. Um and I think that's what draws me to some of these artists that I'm talking about first off. And then my show was going to I think it's going to change because I'm going to be kind of uh, putting all of like, the really interesting uh, um, Fascinating, artistic kind of people That have inspired me in my life And how I look at acting and art um, Film, theater, whatever it is Are these artists that do something that you know, Other artists and directors don't usually do It's, uh, it's interesting It's thought provoking And you sit back and you can see the art because isn't that what we really want to see? Well, that's what I want to see. As a audience member. I want to see art. Um, that's probably why... I'm, I hate to say it. I'm not drawn to those superhero films. I don't consider that art. I don't. I consider that entertainment. Which isn't bad. Not, but for me... I when I want it, When I sit down at the end of the day... To watch something... I want to be inspired. I want to be grabbed inside. Feel that. I want to feel something. Um, And that's why people love uh, roller coasters and stuff like that. At amusement parks. I mean, they're screaming. They get something out of it. That thrill. That fear. That excitement. Well, that's the same thing when I sit down and watch a show. Or a film. Whatever. a Documentary. Which I want to start talking about more In my podcast episodes I think I'm going to be doing a documentary And I actually Considered it this week I was working on the Fisher King For a few weeks now And at the last minute Yesterday, I'm not kidding, yesterday um, I And mean, this wasn't like Yesterday morning or during the day I'm talking yesterday evening I'm kind of watch. We're watching Game of Thrones again And it's even more fascinating the second time, by the way, Game of Thrones. But I'm watching Game of Thrones last night, thinking about the podcast I'm going to do today. And going, yeah, the Fisher King, that should be fun. Um, I think I'm I'm ready to go. And then in the back of my head, I have like this little voice sometimes. that goes, well, you may want to do something else. What? And I hate that, too, because I'm all ready to go. And then, like, the, this fucking bastard voice in the back of my head, right? Yeah, I'm hearing shit. It's like, well,
1: maybe you're going to do something else. I'm
0: like, fuck. What else do you want to do, man? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I know. Like, I'm, you know, schizo or something. I'm not. It's the artistic stuff, you know, that's constantly going on in my head. Like, well, you should do this. You should do that. You got to check this out. You got to check that out. You should do this instead of that. Well, anyways, last night. It was doing this to me. This artistic shit. All in my head bouncing around. Well, maybe we should, you should know, do something else. Like... Okay. I've been walk- watching documentaries. I do it often. If I'm not watching movies or shows, whatever. I watch a documentary. During the day or on a Sunday. The last one I watched... Fucking disturbing. It was good. It was called... Uh, Capturing... The Freedman's And if you've seen it You know what I'm talking about This is subject matter that is very disturbing People don't like talking about it And the, the, the fascinating thing about this documentary And I'm kind of going off track And I'll get back on The Fisher King in just a moment But I think this is significant Because in my head It affected me so much That I actually considered talking about it For a whole episode Today But decided against it going no People don't want to hear about this stuff. It's about pedophilia. Okay, I'm just going to say it right now. It's about pedophilia. Very disturbing stuff. The documentary was actually nominated for an Academy Award. So it wasn't like this back alley production. It did very well. It was very thought provoking and interesting and disturbing. And it really grabbed me like, man, the whole family. I'm just going to basically tell you what it's about. And then I'm going to get back on The Fisher King. Okay, it's about a family in New York City, um, just outside of New York City. I think it's called Great Neck. It's like a Jewish community, I think. Don't quote me on that. I I know Long Island is. But Great Neck may actually be on Long Island. Like I said, I haven't done that much research into the documentary. But anyways, the father was caught uh, doing some bad things to kids. And the documentary is basically about one of the sons was pretty much taping and recording all the, like, the arguments the family had about what was going on and everybody having their strong opinions about whether or not the father was wrongfully accused and all that stuff. And it really it was intriguing to see the family atmosphere of somebody going through that. Uh, seeing it firsthand, uh, it was very disturbing and interesting. And it might be something that I might do in the future, uh, maybe, because it's interesting stuff and people like hearing about it. Because, you know, it's just because of the fact that it's something you just, you know, for me, it's like something that I can't even imagine. And because I watch documentaries, I'm exposing myself to these things that are mind-blowing to me. Like, I didn't even know this stuff was out there. There was a there was one I watched the other day about like this religious cult that started in India and then the guy uh, got kicked out of India and ended up like setting up a base and I, I forget the state it was way out west they set up like this whole community of I mean I'd never heard of this I'm like it was done like I think in early '80s so I was a kid so maybe that's why I don't remember this. But, I mean, that was the first I've ever heard of anything like that. So, documentaries is something I would really love to talk about in the future. Any documentary that grabs me. Or if there's something that you've seen and and you're like, Jeff, watch it. Do a show on it. It's good. I'll take that advice. I'll watch it. I'll study it. And I'll give you my opinion on it. Because I have a very strong opinion about this Capturing the Freedmen's documentary. It was on HBO and HBO gives us some great documentaries but there always seem to be these uh, directors that do these documentaries they have an opinion and they should when a director goes into a project most of the time they're not going to be biased they're going to have an opinion about whether or not uh, someone is guilty or not I'm sorry, that's reality and that's just the way it is so documentaries, very fascinating stuff and down the road looking to do that I'm rambling on and on I'm going to do that I've explained in the past I like to talk in this little room that I'm in get me out of this little room and not talking about acting and I say about, I don't know, 30 words a day I'm not kidding I don't talk that much I'm a quiet guy Uh, the only time you'll get me rambling on and on is if I've had a few drinks and I loosen up a little it's usually like, you know, late in the evening, I get a little lightheaded and giddy and I'm a little more talkative. Um, And around my family, I talk fine, but I'm not very sociable outside the home. I clam up, I'm shy. And um, like what you're hearing from me right now is very unlike, like when most people are listening to my podcast, they probably can't believe it that I actually talk because I don't. Usually, I'm pretty quiet. I like to keep to myself. I watch. I I watch and learn. You know, I find myself being more interested in observing things going on uh, than actually being a a forefront figure in things going on. Right? Hey, so a lot of people are different. Everybody's different. A lot of people are different. I'm such an idiot. Jeff, don't talk like an idiot. Okay. Um, Everybody's different. I think that's the point I'm trying to make. And that doing this uh, episode and the podcast of The Actor's Room is a good way for me to sort of just uh, get things off my chest sometimes. uh, Share things with uh, other people that might find or are interested in the same things that I am. Um, And The Fisher King, the movie that uh, this episode is about, is sort of a reminder to me of this very point of... Watching a movie that's so interesting And this movie uh, Had a budget of 24 million dollars Okay And it grossed a little over 40 million Uh, So it did make a profit Yes But not as popular as I think It should have been I think it was because of the subject matter It's a little weird Okay Uh, Robin Williams plays a man That pretty much loses his mind when his wife was shot and killed in a restaurant. Now the reason why she was shot and killed. Is because Jeff Bridges character. Who plays in a DJ. Like a Howard Stern. Jeff Bridges plays a character. That's pretty much like Howard Stern. He takes calls from all sorts of people. Well there was one guy. That was a, a caller that I think called frequently. And the caller was. This guy that you could tell didn't do well with the ladies, and called Jeff Bridges to kind of get advice about his love life, so on and so forth. Well, he called up one night, and Jeff Bridges took the call, listened to his worries, and said, uh, "I think that you should, you know, take a break from uh, this girl that you're seeing right now, and because she's just out of your league. These yuppie. I guess this uh, this guy was dating a girl." or was interested in a girl that was attractive in a yuppie type uh that sort of thing in New York City and Jeff Bridges pretty much told him listen you're not going to get the girl you know they're, these these yuppies these high class people they live on another planet you know we don't want to be associated with them they're, you know she's not for you well he was i think Jeff Bridges' character was being honest and pretty much telling this guy listen you're not going to get the girl give it up Uh, And maybe you're just not ready for love right now And when the guy hung up the phone He must have had some sort of episode Well, he went into a restaurant A yuppie restaurant And shot it up And one of the people killed was Robin Williams' character's wife She perished And he broke down And ended up living on the streets Now Jeff Bridges finds out about this about the fact that he knew the guy that shot up the restaurant was the same guy that called into the show. And he felt direct, directly responsible for what happened. And he went into a shell as well, drinking and, and, you know, sleeping all day and basically drinking all the time. And he has a cute little scene in the park where he gets completely wasted. So wasted. I mean, just sloppy. Uh, um, almost I'm sure he didn't remember what he did the night before uh, He ends up talking to a, um, a monkey doll, a doll Like a monkey doll that some kid gave to him Because this kid thought he was a bum on the street And he pretty much is now Because all he does is drink And he doesn't work he, He's living with some woman uh, that runs a video store And they live like, you know, I have like a video store and then you have like the top part is where you live. Well, that's where he was staying with this woman uh, that was played by Mercedes Rule. And she actually wound up winning the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress because of this role. I mean, she was that good just a tremendous actress too and she had done a few other films that I love too. Uh, She played a mom in Big with Tom Hanks. A small role, yes, but I mean, I even remember her in that movie. She's that good. Uh, So winning the best actress for that that year at the Oscars you know, when they uh, went up, the presenter went up and said you know, the winner for best supporting actress is Mercedes Rue, the Fisher King
3: Oh, thank you. I I went to New York to study acting the summer that I was 21. And like thousands of actors before me and thousands of actors after me, I went through the usual scores of moonlighting jobs and the usual scores of rejection and the usual Legions of prophets of doom who are always there and always at the ready to give you the up-to-minute odds against your ever making anything of yourself in this business. And at this moment, (laughs) all of those sort of doleful memories have suddenly transformed themselves into nothing more than the sort of charming and amusing anecdotes from my memoirs. I cannot, (laughs) cannot thank you enough. There are a few people I'd like to thank with all my heart very quickly. The great Terry Gilliam, Richard Lagravenese, our screenwriter, an extraordinary cast. It was an honor to work with them. Roger Pratt, our cinematographer, Steve Randall, Linda Obst, Deborah Hill, Howard Fuhrer, Marsha McManus, my family and my close friends, for their patience and their respect and their support. And finally, I would like to thank Albert Inorato and the late Joseph Papp who gave me my first shot on the New York stage and my first break in the big time and especially the late, great Joe Papp who once in a rehearsal for that play nudged me out of the shadow into the light and told me to stay there in no uncertain terms. I have, I do, I will. Thanks, Joe. Thank you.
0: Nice speech. Mercedes Rule. She uh she deserved that Oscar without a doubt in my mind. Uh watch the Fisher King and watch Mercedes Rule just act her ass off. And Jeff Bridges and I mentioned this in the Robin Williams episode with my brother Dave, we talked about the Fisher King briefly Uh, in doing and highlighting an actor you can't really stick with a movie for too long gotta move on Uh, gotta talk about other movies Uh, but uh, I really wanted to stress how fucking amazing Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges act together and I mentioned that it seemed like they've been acting and they've known each other for years and that's not the case I believe this was their very first movie together and the chemistry between the two of them is undeniable it's something that's rare in film. Uh, you see uh, characters, of, of course, getting along very well. Like a, a good example is Robert Redford and Paul Newman displayed great chemistry together in doing a few films, very successful films. They worked well together. And their chemistry is great. But there was something about Jeff Bridges and Williams. Uh, it was something special. And I like pointing that stuff out so when you go and you watch this film again or for the first time, please take notice of how they react off of one another, how natural it looks. Um, especially in some of the scenes where Jeff Bridges is trying to talk sense into Robin Williams' character because he knows he's crazy. He's just insane. And Robin Williams is just all over the place and Jeff Bridges stays uh, his feet firmly planted on the ground as Williams is just everywhere. And uh, Bridges reacting off of the craziness that Williams brings is very real. Uh, it's it's deeply rooted, and he doesn't stray away from his stance in his character. Um, you can see him getting pissed just in his face. He could tell uh, Robin Williams is really bothering him. Uh, it, you know, just you know, fucking stop what you're doing. <laughs> the way he says it. Uh, when you watch the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. And it's very sweet that uh, Jeff really does, through the progression of the film, he becomes close with Robin because they spend a lot of time together in the film, of course. They're the two main characters. And although it starts off that Jeff was truly annoyed by Williams, uh, at the end of the movie, uh, the, you could see it at the end, they are together. They're best of friends. They uh, went through this experience together. And then I'm, I'm going to go ahead and talk about their experiences. Um, Robin is crazy because of the fact his wife is gone. So Jeff has really taken an interest in, in turning him around because he feels responsible. He tries to give him money. Robin won't take it. Uh, he tries to get him help. Robin doesn't want it. So, Jeff's like, what does this guy want? How can I help him? (laughs) I almost did a Tom Cruise there. Help me help you. Well, I'm thinking this is where Jeff was going with his character. Uh, He was thinking, there's got to be something I can do for this guy Uh, to help him in his life. I feel so responsible. I have to do something for him. And in the same respect, maybe it'll turn my life around. So, what does Robin want? He wants this girl. That he follows around like a little puppy dog. He follows her every day. He knows. And this woman is just really strange. She's played by Amanda Plummer. Former Neighborhood Playhouse alum. Yay! And she's real quirky in every role she does. She was in Reservoir Dog. Not, I'm sorry. Not in Reservoir Dogs. She was in Pulp Fiction. In the very first scene. Where her, um, Tim Roth and her are sitting down at the restaurant talking about how they're going to rob it. That's Amanda Plummer. She went to the playhouse as well. uh, And she's quirky. Uh, She's different. I love her acting because of that. Uh, And I'm sure Terry Gilliam looked her in the eye and saw "That's, that's the actress I want for this part because she's so weird, different, quirky. And it'll work perfect for this role. Well, Robin Williams' character just adores her. And she's a very clumsy character, fumbling around, getting caught up in the, uh, um, with the, the doors that spin. You know, she'd take the door that would spin around and she'd get caught and bumping into people. And it would stop and then she'd fall out of it and trip. And, and she would go to get a book every day and she'd go on the rack to grab the book. And of course, all the books fall down. And then Robin Williams is just so. Uh, utterly in, in love with her, her clumsiness and the way she is. I mean, that's really her. There's no BS with this with this girl. She's just a mess. And Robin just knows that she needs something in her life. Like she's definitely missing something and maybe he's the missing piece to her happiness. So Jeff finally realizes that this is something that he can do. Maybe he can play matchmaker, get these two together. So that's what he does. He convinces Robin to go on a date with this lady he's going to make it happen uh, because he sort of uh, uh, Jeff's character works at this video store sometimes when he's not drunk he went ahead and came up with an idea of getting this uh, Amanda Plummer's character into the shop by calling her up at her work and then telling her she won a prize you won a free rental come on down to the store and we'll get you your free rental well she doesn't believe it She's like, I've never won anything in my life. You're full of shit. Hangs up the phone. And Jeff Bridges is like, it's going to be a little harder than I thought. Well, during all this sort of you know time that Jeff has been spending with Robin Williams, uh, he's come across some you know interesting street people. And one of the street people they come across was played by uh, an actor. And he was uh, a... He's one of those character actors that pops up from time to time. And he was actually on Sesame Street, a regular on Sesame Street. He played one of the Mr. Noodles. And uh, what is his name? I wrote it down. Michael Jeter. And he's talented, this guy. Well, the character he plays is... uh, um, I believe he's a homosexual. And he is like a, a song and dance kind of guy. And so he has... Michael Jeter, go in. Is that his name, Michael Jeter? Uh, yeah, Michael Jeter. Go to Amanda Plummer's place of work. And let, he's dressed up. I don't even know what kind of outfit they got him in. But it's ridiculous. And he jumps up on a desk and starts singing to Amanda Plummer's character. Really awkward. But he just let it all out. An actor they had no problem at all just doing something so outrageous. And when you see the Fisher King and you watch this scene, it's uncomfortable, but brilliant. It was supposed to be uncomfortable for everyone watching this scene. And the reason why he's singing to her is to promote the video store and pretty much tell her, listen, you did win the prize. Come down to the store and, you know, make an appearance. So I guess it did it. It did the trick. She came into the store that night, and of course, Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges act as employees to get her to go out on a date that night. And she accepts, and they're going to an Italian restaurant. No, I'm sorry, it was a Chinese restaurant. And of course, she's fumbling around with the food. It's falling to the floor. I mean, it's a complete joke. And Jeff Bridges and Mercedes Rule, who are an item in this movie, of course, you know, they're just laughing to themselves. These two belong together. It's ridiculous. So they kind of fall for one another and Robin tells her that he's been following her around and he truly does love her. He tells her that. He loves her insecurities and he just loves all of her and he wants to see her again. And uh, it's a cute little love story, one of note, a touching little aspect of the film. uh, Showing vulnerability in Robin Williams as well as an actor. You see that in him. It's nice to see, uh, you sort of see that, that look in his eye of vulnerability in this movie that you don't see in other films that he's done. Uh, if you want to see it, I recommend The Fisher King and the scene between him and Amanda Plummer at the end of their date while they're standing at her door. It's a very touching scene and one of note. One of the best i would seen in a long time. So, because of this, uh, Jeff Bridges realizes that he's done something really good here for someone else. And in the same respect, because of this, um, he feels that, you know, it's time for him to shape up and ultimately ship out of his relationship with Mercedes Rule because I think he feels that um, all the drinking and the self loathing has to stop. And it's time for him to sort of rebuild his life again, get his old job back, uh, start anew, and in the process, leave the relationship that he is in. I mean, and this is a very interesting part in the movie because, I mean, here you have uh, Jeff Bridges in the beginning of the film is this big star, kind of. Uh, as you know, a Howard Stern figure. So, I mean, he's known. I'm sure he was making some pretty decent money. Very confident guy. Uh, has something that affects him personally and he crumbles, uh, goes in, into Hulk alcoholism. Uh, drinking every day, probably, for, I think it was for a few years. And in, uh, in doing so, found Mercedes Rule. She took him in and... Being an alcoholic, you're an asshole. Okay, when you're drinking 24-7, you're not going to be that nice of a person. You're drinking because you're sad. You're depressed. And she had to deal with this, you know, depressed Jack. Uh, The character was depressed, sad, but she loved him. She took him in. And, you know, they did have good times, but most of the time she put up with his shit. And as soon as he starts getting his life back together, he leaves. And she's like, what? you got to be fucking kidding me you're leaving and but i think that is something he had to do and he knew that he had to sort of get his life going in the right direction and hopefully down the line they'll connect again but he ultimately leaves think a little better about himself feeling bad that he did leave mercedes um but soon realizes that robin williams has gone into a shell again um, because he was faced with reality and having to deal with the fact that you know what, uh, you're not supposed to get the Holy Grail. That's not your purpose in life. You have to come back to reality. And I want you to you know be a part of the world again and not live in this fantasy world. Well, being confronted with the fact of reality put Robin Williams in the hospital. Uh, pretty much comatose. And Jeff would visit him and tell him, you know, come on, you know, break out of it. Uh, Everything's going to be fine. And after a while, realized that he had to do something drastic. And he decided to go ahead and as ridiculous as it sounded, he was going to go get the Holy Grail. And that's what this movie is all about in a way. The Fisher King is the fact that Robin Williams felt that his purpose on Earth Was to get this grail. The holy grail. He thought it was the holy grail. It wasn't of course. It was some sort of you know. Trophy or you know. um, It was a cup. Okay. Sitting in some rich guy's house. In New York City. Now this place that he thought the grail was in. It did look like a castle. It did. And I really don't know if that's actually there in New York. uh, Living in New York as I did. I don't remember this castle. Uh, I probably passed it 50 times. But for some reason, I just can't remember it. I'm sure it's there. And so Jeff Bridges decides, you know, for you, buddy, if it's going to help you break out of this coma that you're in, I'm going to go get that fucking cup, and I'm going to bring it to you and put it in your hands. So that's what he did. Jeff Bridges, you know, got himself all decked out like a robber, a thief, climbing up this castle, goes in there, (laughs) gets the cup, steals it, You know, it steals it and everything. I'm sorry if there was a pause right there. I'm using, I'm using my phone, as you know, to do these episodes. And I'm kind of low on power. And I'm doing the episode and you know, I'm talking. And once in a while, it pops up that you're low on power. You got to plug me in soon. And it popped up and I'm like, shit. Did it stop recording? No, it's good. We're all good. We're not uh, stopped. We're going to keep on going here. So, the point I'm making is Jeff Bridges did a brave thing for his buddy because, as ridiculous as it was, I mean, he went up into that castle and stole something. So, it would help his friend. So, he got the cup, brought it to Robin Williams, lying in the bed. Put it on his chest, wrapped his hands around it, this big grail cup looking thing. And it's just, you know, like standing up on his chest. And Jeff Bridges said, I did it. You can come out of your shell. Everything's good, buddy. Everything's going to be just fine. And I just want to point out before I end this movie and this episode that in that scene of Robin Williams in the uh, psychiatric ward or hospital, There are probably around, I would say, 30 beds of patients. okay. And I never noticed this until the last time I saw it. I saw the Fisher King again a couple of weeks ago to get prepared for this episode. And in watching it this time, I paid attention to a lot of details. And noticed that there were 30 beds in this room of patients. And uh, 29 of them were... (laughs) Where your basic, you know, white and gray sheets, Rob Robin's bed was just filled with color. His bed sheets were like red, and and like his blanket was like all different kind of colors, like almost like a like a child would wear. And even like his PJs were kind of like, you know, a childlike uh, sort of feel to it. And I'm like, wow, I never noticed that before or maybe I saw it but never really took it in and realized that all the other beds were just plain, uh, you know, depressing hospital beds. I mean, they're not going to be top of the line fashionable sort of thing. And so I found that fascinating and and made uh, the director, I'm sure, made that decision to sort of have Robin and his character stick out. So uh, getting back to the... The Grail on his chest, uh, and Jeff is just waiting for him to open his eyes. And of course, you know you have your classic little scene where Jeff is, you know, uh, sleeping right next to the bed, and Robin wake wakes up, notices he's got the cup, and Jeff wakes up, and uh, I think what Robin says something like, uh, I forget what he said. Damn it! I should have wrote that down. It's significant. So watch the Fisher King, and then come back at me. And say this is what he said to Jeff Bridges as he woke up. Because for some reason, I can't remember. But it was, it was funny. It was nothing like earth shattering. But it was pretty funny. And uh, at the end of the film, you have Jeff and Robin laying down naked. Completely naked. In Central Park. Right on the grass. At night. And they're just bullshitting, talking about, you know, just bullshit. And you can tell at the end of the film, they're buddies, everything seems to be okay, and it's a great ending, a great film, and I recommend it very highly. For those that are Robin Williams fans and have never seen it, you're missing out on something very special. And uh, taking notice of Jeff Bridges and how brilliant he is, and underrated, Mercedes Rule. Uh, She won an Academy Award, so obviously she was doing something right. Amanda Plummer. And actually, I forgot to mention that David Hyde Pierce is in this as well. And that's Fraser's brother in the Fraser sitcom. Not a big role, but it's significant. He's in that. And of course, um, noting the other actor that uh, his name is Michael Jeter. He did a fine job as well. So thank you for listening to this episode of The Actors Room, highlighting The Fisher King. A film directed by Terry Gilliam. Different, dark, fun, entertaining, but you'll learn something. Uh, It it pulls at your heart. It makes you laugh. It's uh, something different to watch. That's what I like about it. And I think that, as you see, and as you're learning about me, these are the kind of movies that uh, I prefer. Obviously. (laughs) And... uh, you know i just wanted to go ahead and let everybody know how happy i am these past few weeks my show has taken a step i've been waiting and waiting to see my show uh do something to make me go wow okay um maybe i'm going to stick with this for a while because just the past few weeks I've noticed that um, there are people listening. And it's great. Mind you, there's not a lot of interaction or at all in like the sites that I have, like my Facebook page. I don't think too many people go on the Facebook, to my page anyway. Um, I just don't get that many people viewing it. Uh, my Twitter account is pretty much dead right now. I've been stuck on about 1,300 followers for like three months. It's just not growing at all. But my numbers are the downloads that people are listening to on either iTunes or the website have been uh, they've been going up. Uh, they haven't been staying steady uh, or going down. Of course, if I saw uh, either of those two things, like if I saw like a flatlining in my show, I would be discouraged because it's not growing. And definitely, if I saw that it was going down, uh, it would have been I would have probably stopped this months ago. but because I would say since January the show has gone slowly growing, I just recently noticed that it's now it's now growing uh, and it's nice to see. So thank you everybody for listening to this podcast. It means a lot to me. I take great pride in doing the editing. Uh, I will listen to the shows um, several times because I want to learn from them. I want to learn about my mistakes, every little thing about it. I'm trying to work on some other things that might be interesting about the show. So we'll see where that goes. And uh, for your support, I would really appreciate it if you would uh, consider, uh, for, for real, to donate to the show. It means a lot to me. And I've had one person donate, and that's it. And she was just fantastic. She donated money to the show. And it meant the world to me. I stated that in the past, uh, that anything given to the show means that there are people out there supporting it in a way that um, makes me... even To give an even better show, it really would. Having that backing, the support, will make the show even better. And... Make me want to do more intriguing shows, um, more in-depth shows, and things of that nature. And making the show better in other ways, if I was able to expand it monetary-wise. Putting in, you know, eventually if the show goes anywhere, like in a year or two, I will actually buy the better equipment, microphones, so on, to give a better show. A better quality. And Because if that's what the show needs, better quality, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to take the extra step to do that. So please donate to the show. What you do is you go on to theactorsroom.lipson.com, and you will see right there on the page on the right hand side is a little donate button. You press on it, and boom, you go to a page, and you don't get donate fifty cents, fifty cents, fifty fucking cents. And if like, uh, you know, people that listen to the show would donate like fifty cents, like once in a while. You know, that would not mean a lot to me. If I got like, you know, the 20, 25 bucks a month, it would still give me that something like, wow, you know, that's cool. Although that doesn't seem like anything at all. To me, it would just be fantastic. So anyways, Tom Cruise episode. Big success. What a great show that was with my brother. And we're going to be doing Sean Penn next. That's going to be really fun to do. Sean Penn is so I'm doing research on him right now. So cool. So interesting. What a badass that guy is. He was married to Madonna for Christ's sake. I mean, what a a fascinating character he is. An artist through and through. Um, Really going to be exciting to talk about him with my brother. Most likely another two-parter. And getting great responses with the Tom Cruise episode. That was a two-parter. Fascinating work done by my brother on his research and I was so impressed with what he bring to the table with the Tom Cruise research that he did. Spot on, really good shit. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can come up with. This I got, I don't know when we're gonna do Sean Penn. We're planning to do it very soon. Whenever we, the both of us can sit down and do a nice show. I don't want to do anything half assed. I just don't want to do that. I don't want to go into an episode. Going, eh, you know, I know a few things about Sean Penn. And just hope my brother knows the rest. And he's just going to fill in the gaps. I don't know. I want us both to go into that episode with him doing 100% research and me doing 100% research. And that's what makes a great show. Like Our Tom Cruise episode was exactly that. He did great research and I did research. And then we filled in the holes... Where maybe he got wrong information, and then he filled in some holes where I didn't get that information. That's what makes it work. So that was a lot of fun to do, and looking forward to doing Sean Penn. Looking forward to that one. All right. Episode number 36 of The Actors Room done. Whew. My voice, I gotta tell you, you know, and I was talking to Dave. Uh, in the Tom Cruise episode, that, you know, we went about three hours that night talking. Um, and at the end, I said, my voice, you can, I could just tell my voice. It's like, I'm not doing something correctly. And I mentioned to Dave, my brother, that our voice and speech teachers at the neighborhood playhouse would be fucking pissed at us because we're not like sitting properly or we're doing something wrong. And it's as simple as that. And we mentioned our teacher at the playhouse and his name's Gary Ramsey. And we mentioned his name and I'm actually friends with him on Facebook. We kept in touch and I wasn't sure if he actually still taught at the playhouse. And he made a comment on Facebook about the episode saying, you know, congratulations, doing a great job. And I like, did you recognize that we mentioned you in the episode? It <laughs> didn't get back to me. Uh, or maybe I just didn't see it. So I thought that would be a nice little tidbit to put into the show. And that I should... <clears throat> Gary, I'm sorry. I will do the best I can to sit properly. Like, I could tell. I'm sitting here. And I'm... Yeah. Like, I'm leaning forward. When I That is bad. Like, I'm letting gravity... Gravity? Gravity. I'm letting gravity just, like... Take over my chest. Like my like chest is like a magnet to the ground. I I shouldn't do that. You know, it's so easy to give in to gravity, right? Can't do that. Yes, stay strong, <clears throat> committed. It's all about practice. I gotta practice how to sit and breathe. Like my diaphragm is not being properly uh, stabilized, supported, so on. I because <clears throat> if I do that, I'm telling you, I am telling you, it's truly amazing. Just by the way you sit. Breathe and just, you know, do it properly. Your voice will sound fuller and just give out a nice volume. So maybe that's something I'm going to work on in the future is that making my voice sound better. I mean, I'm doing a podcast, my voice is probably the number one thing. That's all you hear, of course, is my voice. So yeah, it might be important to work on that. We'll go hey, go figure, right? I'm so bright. I'm just so fucking smart. Whatever. All right. Thank you once again for listening to the episode titled The Fisher King. So, I hope you enjoyed your day. Hope you enjoy your evening tonight. It's a Saturday for me, and I'm looking forward to going to the store. I got a few things I got to do. Uh pick up a few things, and I'm going to come back, have some dinner, Um, and then um, me and Madeline or Madeline and I, there's my grammar uh, it's just us tonight and uh, the wife and the younger one are at a Girl Scout camping trip thingy like all weekend and here in Cleveland it's like 50 degrees, not bad but it's raining so I'm sure they're going to be completely drenched today at this camping ground, at least it's not too cold but I'm sure they'll have a great time. They always do. Those two, you know, they, they're they so much alike. They really are. It's so cute. I, I call Lexi my little Amy because she really is a lot like my wife. And they're so cute. I'm sure they're going to have a great time. And then, you know, Madeline and I, we're going to be, you know, chilling tonight. You know, it's been kind of a busy week. And the weekend before was busy. I slept like a frickin' rock last night. My wife told me I was snoring, which is rare. I usually don't snore. I guess I was like a buzzsaw last night. So I slept good, but I'm going to continue on with my resting. We're going to put in Game of Thrones, I think. Although a 14-year-old shouldn't be watching Game of Thrones. I think she's going to have a friend of her spend the night tonight, so they'll be doing their own thing. I'm going to be probably watching Game of Thrones. Almost done with the first season for the second time. Love that show. Game of Thrones, if you've never seen it, HBO, I mean talk about entertaining and just the characters, there's a lot of characters to follow, but they're all so very deep, so very good, a lot going on, um, more than just entertaining, there's something else to that show, I'm watching it for the second time because there's so much going on, it's amazing how much is going on in this show. So I hope that you have that show that you're watching right now that you love. I hope you put that on tonight. You sit back, relax, you pour yourself that drink or two. Enjoy the evening. Take a load off, right? I mean, we all got shit going on, right? And you need to take that time to relax. And it's so important to do that, okay? It's a mental break. And if you don't do that, we're going to just, you know, that's what makes us kind of just lose our minds, sometimes, right? Don't let it get to that point, you know? Sit back, relax, and enjoy the evening. That's all. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Have a good one. One day,
1: a fool wandered into the castle and found the king alone. Now, being a fool, he was simple-minded. He didn't see a king. He only saw a man alone and in pain. And they asked the king, what ails you, friend? The king replied, I'm thirsty. I-, I need some water to cool my throat. So the fool took a cup from beside his bed, filled it with water, and handed it to the king. And as the king began to drink, he realized his wound was healed. He looked in his hands, and there was the holy grail, that which he sought all of his life. He turned to the fool and said with amazement, how could you find that which my brightest and bravest could not? The fool replied, I don't know. I only knew that you were thirsty.